What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL strategy show playoff postseason edition. And for the first time ever, maybe we have six games on the wild card week, 14 teams getting into the playoffs, only one team getting the buy in each conference, which means we get three Saturday games three Sunday games. It's a beautiful thing. It also means that on today's show, we're going Saturday slate ownership stacks, and then Sunday slate ownership stacks. If you're watching after this has been live and it's put back onto YouTube and published, we're going to have timestamps. So you'll know exactly where to go. And you can of course, check on the left side to see where we're at. I'm Dave Lochran on Twitter at Lafay underscore D L O U G H Y underscore D with me, Kyle Dvorak. At Kyle Tweets here. I'm going to say Kyle Gajeski again. And Matt Gajeski <laughs> at Matt underscore Gajeski on Twitter. Matt, what's going on, man? You ready for some playoffs? Yeah, man. I'm super excited about the extra game. I feel like going way, way back to week, maybe it was week four or something, the first time we had a rescheduling for football, you and I were talking and we're like, oh, it's not all that bad. We get a game on a Wednesday here. We get a game on a Tuesday there. More football is fine with me. So I'm super happy about the extra game. Yeah, me too, Kyle. And we don't have ownership yet or top stacks for Sunday slate, but I think we can do a decent job of, you know, surveying the land and and seeing what comes up because we have totals and oftentimes the totals, the spreads can tell us a lot. You can glean so much from Vegas uh, that it allows us to do our jobs a little bit easier, even if we don't have ownership and, uh, and top stacks for that yet. Yeah, like if we have pricing, we have totals, we know roughly who's going to be playing, we can generally guess what is going to happen. Like, I, I don't know if I get it down to the, you know, tenth of a percentage point like our ownership will have, but like, I think we can still get a very good feel for what that second slate is going to be like. And then we have everything for the first slate. All right. Let's dive into it. Before we do, guys, hit that thumbs up. More importantly, help get us to that 50K mark. If you like the show, if you like what we do here, maybe you don't like us, but you like the content. You appreciate that we're putting out free content every single day here on the YouTubes. Well, and you want to maybe see it pop up in your browse feed, your recommended feed, be easier to find, know when we go live on the homepage, all of that great stuff. All you have to do is click subscribe. If you hate it, if you decided you made a terrible decision, unsubscribe, you'll never have to deal with us again. But We're at 47 plus thousand. Thanks to all of you guys who watch our shows, who support us, whether you're a premium sub or you just hang out on YouTube, doesn't matter to me. We appreciate you and you've helped get us this far. Help push us over the top because only 51, 52% of people that actually watch our shows are even subscribed. And a lot of them are routinely watching, not subscribed. Hit that sub, get us there. We appreciate you. All right, let's do it, fellas. Indy at Buffalo, Matt. Here's a game that I think is like, this is a phenomenal slate starter and phenomenal way to kick off the postseason. 51 point total. The Buffalo Bills are six and a half point favorites. They have a 28.75 total of which three teams on this first weekend have. I, I got to tell you, the Colts are a pretty good football team, but where it stands right now, and, and don't worry, we're going to go, we're going position by position, but I wanted to start with this game just for a brief moment. Cause there's so many top owned plays from here. Uh, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Jonathan Taylor. I, I don't know how any team is capable of slowing the Bills down right now. Their offense has just looked automatic. How do you envision Buffalo being able to put up points? I think they'll do it mainly through the air, like they've done most of the year through efficiency with Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. And it's really hard to discount anything Josh Allen's done. And he's made some of the, 
I guess, biggest strides I've seen from a signal caller at any point this year. And you want to talk Stefan Diggs heading into last week, he was leading most of the NFL in all of the major receiving categories. So as far as just 7,700 is the price you're going to pay for him on DraftKings. I feel like we've also talked about with Pat Mahomes in the past, sometimes these players on these hyper-efficient offenses, even though they're highly owned, their ownership might not be as high as it's supposed to be. And we see Stefan Diggs north of 60%, again, just three games. That honestly might not be high enough. It might not be. And hey, by the way, Alex Baker, also himself, just popped into chat and said he's running ownership for Sunday right now. Beautiful stuff. I know we have a Sunday only tab as well. Uh, if you're an awesome premium sub. So that's where you can find it Saturday. Uh, I think it's on the main slate or on the Saturday tab. Kyle, uh, the, the highest owned wide receiver right now on this Saturday slate, Stefan Diggs getting like 64%, Josh Allen getting 38%, Jonathan Taylor getting 43%. Uh, again, starting with you on the Buffalo side, is the Allen Diggs a combo that for you is too difficult to give up? Or could you see yourself maybe getting to some Beasley? John Brown, by the way, is also hauling in 32%, which is the fourth highest projected own wide receiver on the slate. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there are bad plays. This is a, this has been my downfall all year. My worst slates have consistently been when I have Josh Allen on small slates. He killed me on the one after Thanksgiving we had like games pushed around to get a small slate then he killed me because he was in the first one versus San Francisco and uh, I think I'm sort of going back to it although I do think the Bills offense is still just like at least as a whole is one that is so good that it's hard really not to be playing them because when you look at the highest totals of the slate they are like or the highest totals of the weekend it's not really a ton of the high totals coming in on like it's 28.75 is chopped between Bills, uh, Ravens, and Saints. Only one of those teams is on the on the first slate. So I do think this is an offense I want to target. I'd be a little interested in getting kind of kind of gross and going with like a Phillip Rivers and then run it back with a lot of Bills basically onslaughting this game from the other side. But I do think this is like the premier game and just scratching it off given its total, given the Bills team total, that would be bad. Yes, and that's the funny thing here. Matt, we can. I guess we could go a little bit of out of out of order here. Usually, we go by position with with all of the stacks, but with only three games, I, I guess this makes it a little bit more interesting to do it this way. Philip Rivers on the other side of the ball. When I write out a run sheet, you know, you have the chalk, and then I'll throw in some pivots that I like. Philip Rivers is really the only Saturday pivot that I threw in at quarterback, and I don't disagree with Kyle. If you look at Rivers' numbers this season from a fantasy standpoint, they aren't pretty, right? You're, you're not looking at that and champing at the bit to get rivers into your lineups, but given how explosive and dominant Buffalo's offense has been, I, I can't help but think Phillip rivers may be forced into a situation where he has to throw because pretty much every single quarterback that's faced Buffalo for, for the entire season has been thrown into a similar situation. I mean, just look at last week, like talk about Loa. Last week, threw the ball 58 times. Terrible performance. Uh, yeah, we don't need to talk about Tagovailoa with his, his three interceptions. But uh, just like you mentioned, this Bills team is forcing other teams to throw the ball voluminously. And it's happened, especially in recent games, that kind of exclude that New England Patriots game where they're basically evaluating Newton and Stidham. And you see elevated attempts from opposing offenses. And this isn't a new concept. We see this a lot with the Kansas City Chiefs, like, the, the Miami Dolphins also faced the Chiefs recently in Tago by Law. I believe he threw the ball for 40 times in that game, just using the Dolphins as an example. But when you see these teams 
that get down in games early. It just forces them into extra pass attempts and they won't be able to ride Jonathan Taylor like they prefer to do if Buffalo is just routinely scoring on them. Kyle, the pass catching options too for, for Indy, they're not getting a ton of love outside of T.Y. Hilton around 29% projected ownership. Of course, check all our projections out at awesomeo.com. Um, I'll tell you a promo in a few minutes. That's the greatest thing we've done in a while, and it'll be the best thing we do all year long. Uh, but T.Y. Hilton, 29%, and then it falls off a cliff. I mean, you've got Michael Pittman at 12% at basically minimum salary. I understand looking at his numbers, uh, it's it's not really encouraging. And his, his target totals have kind of fallen off a cliff as well. The same goes for Jack Doyle, not running a ton of routes, but he's getting like 1% ownership. I guess the question here is outside of T.Y. Hilton, you've got Pittman, you have Doyle, and then you have Naeem Hines, who is not in that chalky segment of running backs either. There are ways I think that we can get different on a three-game slate. Do it with a team in Indy who's in a game with a 50-plus total against the team that has such a dynamic offense. It's hard for me to believe that, that we're in such a fortuitous situation. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a lot of times when we look at playing like buck stacks and on the context of a slate with 15 games, it's difficult to say, well, oh, there's there's going to be no way Mike Evans is outscored by other players because of the way they spread it out. You say, oh, I can kind of miss out on playing playing bucks because unless one of them goes for 180 and two touchdowns, they spread the ball enough that you're going to be OK just faking the bucks out of the spread of their offense. It doesn't uh, end up being super conducive to a ton of teams a ton of players on their team scoring. We don't have those types of alternatives on a slate with three games. If Philip Rivers goes off the one touchdown he throws to Michael Pittman, and, and even if Pittman goes two for 40, that could still put him in the optimal lineup. When you look at the context of a large slate, that's not necessarily the case. So you're throwing darts that don't necessarily have this incredible ceiling. The ceiling relative to the rest of the slate becomes a lot larger when there are only two games to go to. So I think you're pointing out exactly what I think. There are super low owned plays that are maybe not incredibly high market share, you know, pivotal pieces of the offense, but we can see big games from Zach Pascal. If there are underdogs, Niam Hines is, I don't want to say a lock to have a big game, but a lock to have a large role. And Michael Pittman at his price is going to be a decent value regardless. So I do think given that if this game does end up shooting out and Rivers is simply just the best value, even if he doesn't raw points, outscore Josh Allen, stacking up these cheap guys, even if you have to make a couple iterations of that stack, you know, if you're playing 20 max, you might need to devote three, four, five, six lineups just to cover your bases. I do think that is going to be far more likely to be the best play of the slate than people will give it credit for. Even if I don't think it's the most obvious spot, I do think just finding ways to cover your options on a Philip Rivers stack is going to be a, a play that I get to probably over the field pretty significantly. Yeah, I would hope myself as well. And Matt, I, I know it seems almost trivial to talk about chalk and, and fades on a three-game slate, but this is actually one where we're seeing some good pivots and, and some good players that are going under-owned, or at least right now going under-owned, some maybe going over-owned, uh, despite the abbreviated set of games. Uh, what would you say... With, you know, Allen being chalk, we know that's going to happen. We know Diggs is going to be chalk for sure. Um, Hilton's above 30%. John Brown's above 30%. Jonathan Taylor's above 40%. What would you say your favorite way to attack this game is? Yeah, first thing on the ownership on three-game slates, I, I know maybe pivots isn't, you know, like the most interesting conversation to have because you get to some of these gross plays like Zach Pascal. But I think ownership even might serve elevated importance on games like this, where you have Stefan Diggs at 60%, and he's just an example. But 
how contrarian do you actually need to be if you fade Stefan Diggs? You 60% of the field has him. So if Stefan Diggs busts, I don't think you necessarily need to be super contrarian because you already have someone who's not in your lineup who's 60% owned. But as, as far as attacking this game, kind of to that point, I don't think you need to fade all of them. Like, I think you could get away with maybe a Stefan Diggs in a Philip Rivers stack. Of course. Yeah, and vice versa. If you were to run like a Josh Allen stack without Stefan Diggs, if Stefan Diggs ends up just catching like four for 60 and has a modest game and say it's Gabriel Davis or John Brown that catches the touchdown, yeah, you faded at 60% on Stefan Diggs, but you still have a lot of access points to this Buffalo offense. So I'll be playing around with the heavy own chalk pieces and trying to mix and match them a little bit. Yep, I like it. And listen, I love Stefan Diggs. He's me too. I finished with the most re- yards, receptions, and targets in the entire league this season. He's fantastic. I, I want to have some some Stefan Diggs, but I also could see myself where you know I have a full blown game stack, whereas Josh Allen, Diggs, maybe Beasley, but then coming back, it's Michael Pittman and Naeem Hines. And I think a lot of people might go Jonathan Taylor. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do things with this game, which I think makes it even more fascinating um, just from an overall ability to get different. Kyle, I've decided just to change it up on the fly. We're already through one game. Let's just, we'll just go game by game. It makes sense actually for this slate. So uh, Seattle and the LA Rams, you're not getting much ownership from from the, the bulk of this game. Outside of Chris Carson, he's chalky. Remember, Carlos Hyde should be back. Rashad Penny was worked in a little bit last week. Uh, but the quarterbacks and the pass-catching options, which is where we should start, really not getting a lot. Uh, Russell Wilson at 17%. Who knows what's going on with Jared Goff? We didn't think Cam Akers would play last week, and he got a huge workload. So uh, I'll assume it's Walford, but I, I, at this point, I honestly don't know. Can we talk about the Seattle passing attack, though, and how anemic it has been over the past eight games, whereas the first eight games of the season, Russell Wilson looked like an MVP, along with DK Metcalf and even some three-touchdown Tyler Lockett games? Do we have to? It's so depressing to so talk bad. about. It's it's like there are multiple factors, too. We were talking about this before the show. It's one, they're not letting Russ cook. They were one of They were like the number one team in pass rate over expectation, which basically just adjusts for the fact that you're winning. So if you pass a little bit while you're winning, that's actually really shocking. Teams just run the ball when they're winning. Right. Versus expectation, they were passing at a league high rate. The Chiefs solely overtook them, and other teams have overtaken them as well. And on top of that, Russell Wilson's simply not playing well. He's posted like this string of consistently mediocre games. And I think maybe the final piece to this is that they've had kind of an easy schedule. So when you're winning, like when you can put up 23 and that's a win somehow, like you don't have to. So I think it's sort of been just coasting at this baseline level of let's get into the playoffs. Let's, you know, we'll be in contention for a first seed, even if we don't do that much, because they've been playing kind of these trash teams for the most part. So Maybe this is a turnaround. I do think there's a decent chance we see Jared Goff. He was throwing at practice. And I think if you have like this, uh, it was a thumb ligament and broken thumb that he had surgery on. If you're throwing on his throwing hand, if you're throwing at practice, I assume you'll be okay to throw in a game. I would guess it's it's more than 50-50 that he plays. Maybe this game ends up hitting the over and the passing options have incredibly low ownership relative to its ceiling. But that would take multiple standard deviations over what Vegas has the total as 42 and a half is the lowest of the slate by two and a half points. And then by nearly five points. So I think it's interesting to allocate some ownership to this game. And uh, maybe most importantly, I think Chris Carson being owned by half the field just blows my mind. There are 
enough ways to get off of Chris Carson, including perfect leverage by playing the passing game or just doing other things that uh, I think the Seattle passing attack, man, I feel like I've been tricked by this literally every single week since, I don't know, it's called like week eight, where I say they were throwing a lot early. Russ was cooking. He was good. And it just has never come back to that. Like the closest we got was a good Tyler Lockett game last week. And that was like it. So I don't know, maybe I'm just buying too much into the first half of the season, but I do think I'm buying at the right ownership at least, even if it doesn't come back. No, I, I think you're preaching to the choir, as a matter of fact. And Matt, the, the one issue is Seattle's defense has looked a lot better. Yes, they faced more inferior opponents, but they were they could face anyone over the first eight weeks and get lit up, and then they drop 38 points on them. But on the Rams side of the football, if, if Jared Goff is out, or even if he plays and he's not at full strength, their defense has been pretty remarkable as well this season. This just feels like one of those games that's going to be a lower scoring divisional grudge match. And maybe it shoots out. Maybe I'm way off and we see a 35 to 32 game. But to me, I have some real reservations about this one and, and have some concerns that it's going to be very low scoring. I agree with you 100%. Most of my interest in this game comes from a contrarian standpoint. And a lot of it does reside in the fact that we just have seen the Seattle offense produce at a prolific rate. It hasn't happened in some time. And now this isn't likely to occur. We both have explained a lot of reasons why this has happened. You know, Russell Wilson not playing up to the same level. Obviously, the Seattle team taking a run-first approach of late. But anyway, you want to shake this in a contrarian world, if that were to occur, say the chances are even just small, and that happens. In GPPs, I'll be very interested for that reason, I think you can look at some Seattle stacks. I certainly will have some of them. And I think they're, at this point, liking the condensed target rotation between Metcalf and Lockett is another reason to potentially take a look at these guys. Yeah. Um, Kyle, Cam Akers last week, it wasn't great. He clearly didn't look like he was 100%. But the one thing I loved to see, absolutely loved, was he had 21 carries. He is clearly the guy, not Malcolm Brown. Daryl Henderson's out. Cam Akers, even at less than 100%, coming back from an injury that likely would have sidelined him much longer had this not been a must-win game. He only had 34 yards. He was terrible on the ground. But he had a 38-yard reception, caught all four of his targets for 52 yards. Did he salvage? No, I would say he didn't. But when I look at that volume, I can't help but think coming into the postseason – given the the very the high likelihood that this passing attack is really going to struggle, that Cam Akers gets a lot of work, and he's $5,100. What are your thoughts? I know what they are on Car- Chris Carson. Well, how do you feel about Cam Akers? Yeah, I don't get why I wouldn't be playing. Like The only reason, I, I guess you would say, I understand one reason, is that Cam Akers is on the underdog team with a low implied team total. I don't even yeah. think 19 isn't a terrible implied team total. It's like not even bottom two on the total weekend so I don't know I don't think it's the worst spot to play a running back it's not it's not the best either but they're only four point underdogs their team total isn't terrible I do think there are some reasons to go to him just based on the game like it's not a horrible matchup or anything I think it's fine the game should maybe have some chance to score if Russell Wilson plays well but it's the price and the ownership at 5100 and his role obviously price ownership role when you look at him versus Chris Carson I think they have very similar roles. When you look at his price, he's cheaper. When you look at his ownership, nearly a 10% discount. A little over eight, I believe. 
at that price, at that ownership, why would I not be making that pivot? I, the only reason you could argue is just the low implied team total and the underdog. But I think as long as they are competitive in this game, they'll continue to lean on acres because they're going to have a quarterback who's coming back from a thumb injury or a quarterback who was in the AAF two years ago. So it's exactly like you said, I think they're incentivized to run the football, even if I don't think running the football is super sharp. I think they are at least incentivized more than other teams to run the football in this game. And we know when they run the football, who they're giving it to. So, and the four targets actually really impressive as well, given that we kind of expect to see Malcolm Brown play that role. That's not the case. If he's, if Cam Akers, which he was in college is actually like an adequate pass catcher. He doesn't have to be Christian McCaffrey, but if he's adequate as a pass catcher and he has the chance to play three downs, I think he's easily like good. Like I don't want to say the best chalk, but good chalk on this late relative to Chris Carson, who I just don't get why half the field is going to be playing Chris Carson. Yeah. Volume is King, Matt. Um, which leads me to the next question for you. Cause you hadn't touched on Carson yet. Of course, your thoughts on acres, but you know, if, if Carson does in fact come in as almost 50% chalk, are you willing to just not forego him entirely because that just doesn't make a lot of sense, but is this a spot where you'd come in underweight on him, especially given that Pete Carroll has seen shown a willingness to mix in Carlos Hyde, Rashad Penny's healthy. I don't know if he's going to get some work. What's your thinking on the run game for both sides? I am definitely fading Carlos Hyde. If this is where we see his ownership settle, you mentioned that Carlos Hyde is back. And even last week, Chris Carson and Rashad Penny split the snaps almost 50, 50 Chris Carson only played two more snaps than Rashad Penny in that game. This will be a timeshare to some degree. And even before Rashad Penny came back, he was splitting work with Carlos Hyde. So to speak on acres, I don't really have anything else to add. You guys mentioned everything that you could possibly like about a running back on this slate. But overall, when we just look at options, there aren't as many just pure bell cow backs on the Saturday slate. You have Jonathan Taylor, who he'll share some with Naheem Hines, but then Buffalo doesn't employ a bell cow. Seattle's not going to. Tampa Bay, you have Ronald Jones mixing with Fournette. And even Antonio Gibson's going to cede some work to J.D. McKissick. It makes it a really interesting running back GPP slate. And while Akers might not be in the best overall game environment, I still think his workload behind Taylor is arguably the most secure on this entire Saturday slate. Lafayette, our dynasty shares of Rashad Penny are just skyrocketing right now. They were at like one cent KTOV levels, and now they're at like Kodak $4 levels. We are really excited about this. <laughs> Dude, I have a lot of Rashad Penny in Dynasty Leagues. You know I do. Of course, yeah. Well, you know why? I did a couple startups going into this season as well, and he was like 22nd round. So what are you supposed to do, right? The guy was a – wasn't he the last pick in the first round a few years If ago? not, he was 31st. He was one of the final few picks. One of the, Okay, was, so he was 31st, not 30s. No, it might have been. I just know he was in the Wait, last no, 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 no. I think that's the year – I think that's the year the Patriots lost their pick, so he was the – <laughs> the last pick i could be wrong yeah, I, I, no that that's in the ballpark of the right year uh even though matt doesn't play dynasty i'm sure he remembers playing in the college football streets the dude was just like a fiend yeah yeah rashad penny was the first round pick um butto jenkins our good friend butto jenkins says trevor lawrence will be the biggest bust since carson wentz Wait, that would be, be trey fair. lance my friend carson wentz <laughs> isn't even the biggest bust since carson wentz like Carson Wentz still had a season where he took the team to a 12 and one start was about to be the MVP and they won the Super Bowl this year, that year, of course, Nick Foles, but he had other top 10 seasons too. Like he was good, great. And then good again, I believe like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like was Carson Wentz, if this is the end, would you look back and call him a bust? 
Yes, but I can assure you that that Daniel Jones hasn't exactly made a a, a big name for himself either. Uh, I think we could about, list a lot of. Players. What about Dwayne Haskins? Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, yeah. granted, he was what like thirteenth overall or something. Yeah, but but yeah, still, there's a lot. There are far more. It feels like far more quarterbacks drafted nowadays are are bad compared to the ones that are that are good. But don't get me started. Yeah, I'm pissed. I'm fine with Jalen Hurts, but people have jumped the shark on Jalen Hurts as well, acting like you know, anointing him as as the next great quarterback. And I think we have to be careful there as well. Matt uh, and Kyle, anything else for Rams Seattle? Uh, no, nah, I mean, I like, I like contrarian Ram stacks. I won't lie to you. I was, I was about to ask you, I'll throw this to Matt. Like, what do you, what do you make of, I assume we'll get Cooper cut back. He's supposed to practice today. I was going to ask you like any interest in, I mean, the Rams have been a team that when they're underdogs, like we love playing Rams underdogs. That's when they pass a lot. And they're like these high completion PPR monster type of teams where they can just rack up a 10 catch game for either of these guys. I don't know if I get there or not, but I, it's worth considering. And it sounded like Matt, you were interested. Yeah. And Matt, what about Higby and Everett at a really, really bad tight end position? If you are stat, if you're going with some lower owned Rams tags, I think you can absolutely do that. I mean, the Rams are one of the, teams that are most sensitive to game script in the NFL. Even last week, John Wolford threw the ball 38 times. Like that is a ton, a ton of volume. And we don't know if it's going to be John Wolford or Goff. Obviously I I would like the offense a lot more if it was Goff, but I even have some interest in John Wolford. Like quietly, John Wolford is a decent dual threat quarterback. And you're going to have to dig deep with me here because I did play this AAF DFS. I know you guys were interested in that too, but John Wolford in the AAF. No, I was not. <laughs> I, I was. Were. I was a little bit. I was a little bit. I it was, was. It was rough because they weren't on main sites, but I still found a way. I was all over the XFL betting DFS. Loved that AAF, not so much. Oh man, you were late to the game. The AAF was the best, but this dude had decent rushing. Has like a game, dude. Must not yes, have been XFL the best. Didn't last almost any longer. Trent Richardson will always be the all-time touchdown leader in the AAF. Matt, they do you know eight who, games? Matt, do you know who the quarterback was who got annihilated on the first game of the AAF season? He got his helmet popped off like 30 yards. No, I don't. But this uh, isn't I'm not trying to stand up for the AAF right now. I'm trying to tell you that John was like a decent rushing to I'm trying to tell you he was a decent dual threat in the AAF. The dude is a little bit of rushing chops. So if you're trying to just play a contrarian signal caller, this isn't even like a David Blau level quarterback from Thanksgiving. And we even saw David Blau put up a decent game. And we're talking a three-game slate. It's not like we have Pat Mahomes and all of the – it's not a 15-game slate we saw last time. We can't just completely ignore quarterbacks like John Wolford if he starts, especially on a team that's going to throw the ball incessantly when they're down in games. Again, 38 attempts last week, and he wasn't bad with him. He threw one interception, no touchdowns, but 6.8 yards per attempt. I actually like that the Rams are just keeping this into a little dink-and-dunk offense with Wolford. It should allow him to put up at least a decent amount of production – with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, even if it's just coming with little dink and dunk stuff. All right. Kyle, let's talk about Tampa and Washington here, and then we'll uh, make the transition over to the Sunday slate. Three games for each of them, some monster contests, Millie Maker on on DraftKings, some huge contests on FanDuel for both of these slates. It's extremely exciting. Uh, I love these three game slates, but we've got Tampa, we've got Washington, Tom Brady finished the season with 40 touchdowns, 40 touchdown passes, remarkable stuff. 
I like people were so down on him. And yes, his deep ball is not the same as it once was. I understand that. But when you go from having like Nikhil Harry and a few other guys that no one's ever going to remember to having Godwin Evans, um, Antonio Brown and Gronk who clearly progressed and got uh, better and better condition and shape throughout the season, you're going to have a better season. But I'll tell you, man, Kyle, he has looked a lot better over the past several games and, You've seen some just monster, monster offensive explosions from from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, so I think uh, one like we have to man this receive this whole receiving room. If you include Gronk, I mean, could be the greatest of all time. Realistically, Mike Evans has had arguably the greatest start to an NFL career ever. The only player with seven straight a thousand yard seasons. Amazing. Antonio Antonio Brown up to the point where like his life got off the rails was probably at his age, the second or third or fourth best player ever. Like looking at him, he was putting up numbers like Jerry Rice. Like where would you rank him? Where would you rank him for what he did? I would put him too. I like Jerry Rice will probably just the, like he's the Tom Brady of receivers and it's a a position that requires like, I don't want to say like Tom Brady's position doesn't require athleticism, but you get the point. It requires a heightened level of athleticism no one just like when you like just box score surfing Jerry Rice's stats are dumb he went for over like we think about how dumb it is that Tom Brady's doing what he's doing at least he can do his with like finesse and and touch Jerry Rice physically probably just had dudes banging him in the face with their helmets up until the age of 41 or whatever I think he had a thousand yard season over 40 so that'll never happen again I you know bet anything on my life that I'll die and we'll never see that happen Antonio Brown was the closest thing we had seen to that trajectory, though. And he played finally in week 17 as if he was old Antonio Brown. And Chris Godwin is like a younger age-adjusted production phenom as well. He's not quite on that like Mike Evans tier, but incredible as well. And then Gronk, easily the greatest tight end of all time, barring like Kelsey doing this again for the next five years, which could happen. So it's not surprising that as long as Brady has some juice left, they are going to shred when things are firing on all cylinders. And I do think like, sure, the Washington defense is scary and it makes sense that a spot where a team that can get pressure on him would maybe have some success, but he just has such an ability to make like uh, these these incredible plays where there is no chance. And I guess like maybe incredible is more just like efficient plays where there is no chance for pass rush. That's kind of always been his thing is pass rush. It doesn't really affect him as much because he passes so quickly. His time to throw is so short that pass rush doesn't get to him. It is a difficult spot in that I don't know which receiver is going to go off. Mike Evans is practicing, looks like he's going to play, but you're getting such a discount from Josh Allen that I do think maybe there's some interesting, like, even if you're not playing Brady, just going with this as your secondary stack and loading up on like Gronk plus Brown plus McLaurin, and then going with like a, a standard bill stack even makes some sense. I do think they'll all just probably end up being over the field on Brady because people are not going to be playing him at the rate that they're playing Josh Allen. It could be like half the rate. And I don't think there's half the chance that he outscores Allen. Allen should outscore him, but at their price and at their ownership, I do think my favorite way to attack Allen's game is with Rivers. My favorite way to attack this game is with Tom Brady. Yep. Uh, And I think you laid it out nicely, Kyle. The the one great thing is the the, the shitty thing about Tampa is that you never know where the ball is going to go to. The great thing in a three-game slate is you don't know where it's going to go to, so you can take shots at guys because their ownership's all going to be lower. Yep. Uh, still, of course, waiting on Mike Evans' status with that hyperextended knee. I don't know if he's going to be you know, at 100%. But uh, by the way, Matt, and then I'll turn this over to you, Mark Smith said Larry Fitzgerald is the number two overall. You will not find a bigger Larry Fitzgerald backer than myself, but that just couldn't be further from the truth. If he had better quarterbacks, 
throughout his tenure with Arizona, you could, we could be having that conversation. If he had great quarterbacks or even good quarterbacks for all of those years, sure. But no, he's played a long time. He's awesome. He's a humble guy. He lets his play speak for himself, but he's definitely not the number two. Sorry, Matt, I'm getting sidetracked here. Uh, ownership for Tampa is not very high outside of Ronald Jones. And I'm not even sure Ronald Jones deserves that much ownership either. You want to talk more like running back timeshares. I know last week wasn't exactly a competitive game and Ronald Jones probably plays a little more if this game isn't out of hand, but Ronald Jones, 36 snaps, Leonard Fournette, 30. It's kind of back to that timeshare we saw prior to that random game. They made Leonard Fournette inactive. I know Ronald Jones was coming off an injury and the COVID list. So perhaps he works his way back into that full-time workload. But even in this spot, I think the ownership's a little high on a guy like Ronald Jones. And I think I'm actually a little more comfortable going to someone like Akers. Okay. Now, as far as the pass catchers go here, you're not, I don't think you're too worried about ownership. I mean, even Gronk at a horrible tight end position, maybe I'm the only one that was a little bit surprised by this. Even Gronk is sub 20% at a ridiculously bad tight end position. And he's sub 4K. Uh, Antonio Brown, uh, or sorry, Chris Godwin's 25% at 7K. Antonio Brown is 6,100, 19%. Um, I, there's just, there's not a lot of ownership going here. I don't know if Mike Evans plays, but he's 6,513%. There, there's something mad about this Washington defense that, you know, is imposing. But with the way Tom Brady has played, with the, the unlimited arsenal he has at his disposal in terms of weapons, there's just so many ways you can look at this Tampa team and, and strike gold. There's also a lot of ways you can look at this Tampa team and strike out. Is that a fair way to put this? Yeah, it's because unlike a team – maybe Seattle we want to use as an example, their target share is not condensed. They're using four pass catchers and even their running back room is a split at times. But, but if you want to talk like matchup, I know people keep talking about this Washington team having a phenomenal matchup. Tampa Bay's defense is very good too. They're only allowing 6.4 yards per pass attempt. So even at like a tight end position, I think when we see, I mean, Logan Thomas right now, I'm looking at it is coming in with almost double the ownership of Gronk. It's a little bit South of 10%. And he's a thousand more. I just like saw this was dumbfounded and cannot believe that Gronk at 3,900 is like 9% less owned than Logan Thomas on an, I would say equally as difficult matchup. Washington 5.8 yards per pass attempt allowed is second in the NFL. Tampa Bay is not far behind that. They're also top 10. So I don't really see matchup being a factor that really drives Logan Thomas's ownership 10% North of Gronk's. All right. I'm with you. Gronk. I love that Brady is targeting, excuse me, Gronk far downfield. So even if he does have limited targets, Kyle, some of them might be, you know, 30, 40 yards. And we saw that uh, in in a few of the last couple of weeks, your thoughts on Gronk and then uh, kick us off with Washington, who has a very low implied total and looked like they wanted to lose to the Philadelphia Eagles last week. Yeah, so you said one thing that I think is really just like from a football perspective, interesting and, and a little bit from a DFS perspective is that Gronk has one of the higher ADOTs among tight ends and it's yeah. only gone up since Antonio Brown joined the team. He's also been a red zone monster. He's second on the team in red zone targets by a pretty significant margin. It's him and Mike Evans, who they just give jump balls to or they just let him box out defenders. So although no, he's not going to, he's probably not going to get 10 targets. Whereas like Logan Thomas get like 15 targets. His targets aren't vast vastly more valuable than someone like Logan Thomas's targets on a per target basis. They are without a doubt the most valuable targets on the entire slate because they have a very high probability of being in the red zone 
or being downfield. Like versus the Chiefs, he got the 100-yard bonus, and it wasn't like he was out there racking up, you know, 15 targets in a game. It's just so easy for him to have a ceiling game despite his lowered overall, you know, volume. He's not going to have high market share numbers. Even if they pass a lot, he's probably not going to hit double-digit targets. I just don't care. And it blows my mind that for $700 less, people are saying Dawson Knox, that $700 is worth it. They're almost, they're within 3% of each other, within two and a half percent of each other. Tyler Higby for $400 less, like $500 less at nearly the same ownership within 5%, within even less than four. Why on God's green earth are people playing these terrible tight ends when you have two good options at a similar price or one good option, uh, you know, a little over a thousand dollars more. I get why people want to go to Logan Thomas, but why are people playing Dawson Knox and Tyler Higby at the same rate that they're playing Gronk? It is mind bending. I will never do that in my life. I'm probably Xing those guys out of my player pool just because it's so much more advantageous at their ownerships to play Gronk. I don't get it either. Uh, Matt, J.D. McKissick, if they fall behind early, could be viable. He's not getting much ownership. I don't know what Terry McLaurin's, stat, stat, McLaurin's status is. Assuming he absolutely plays, he played last week, but will he be fully healthy? Played 81% of snaps uh, against the Eagles. Antonio Gibson just doesn't look like he's at full strength playing with turf toe. That's just my unprofessional opinion, but I've seen that, and it's a little worrisome. Cam Sims has also played 100% of snaps in back-to-back games, so while they have a low total – uh, I do think there are a few pieces I'm at least willing to entertain for Washington, despite their anemic offense. I agree. And just given the fact that it's short slate, we definitely should be. I'm really worried about the injuries. Like you said with Antonio Gibson, I would be a lot more interested if we saw him just regain his pass catching role, but he was out targeted by JD McKissick five to one, which is concerning given the fact that they're projected to trail in this game, not to mention the injury Antonio Gibson's dealing with. McLaurin I'm having a little bit of a tougher time with given his injury situation the volume is so good for McLaurin that I think I'm a little bit more likely to overlook the injury with him he still had eight targets in in last week's game even though he I mean he does look a little limited but I think just one more week removed if he plays I think he'll actually be a pretty decent contrarian option all right guys the promo I mentioned earlier is phenomenal one and i highly suggest you check it out if you haven't seen anything that we have at awesome yet it is 2021 that is the promo 2021 it gets you three weeks 21 full days of everything on the site projections ownership projections top stack tool boom bust tool lineup builder for all of the sports pga's coming back we've got uh, basketball. We have football still in uh, in full swing for the postseason. Any sport that they have contests at DraftKings or FanDuel, we've got you covered at awesomeo.com. Uh, listen, I'm telling you right now, this is probably the best one we're going to do all year. I said before the season ended that we had uh, one that was spectacular. Well, to kick off the new year, 2021, get you everything. If you go to awesomeo.com slash promos, you'll see uh, everything that it includes. You'll see how to, to how to sign up. It's very simple. It's 21 days for $20. You know, it's a, it's a phenomenal way to get your foot in the door uh, and see why everyone talks about loving the tools that Alex Baker, awesomeo himself, number one ranked player, has built and used himself to win a ton of money playing DFS. And if you want to make a more long-term commitment, if you like what you've seen, if you you know about the tools and you believe in them, use the promo code HAPPY, H-A-P-P-Y. It gets you 20% off the top of an entire year of Awesome O Plus. 
platinum. That's everything on the site. And you can add fantasy cruncher to that one as well. So 2021 gets you 21 days for $20. Happy gets you 20% off the entire year, an annual awesome plus platinum plan. If you have any questions, you can DM me at Lafay underscore D L O U G H Y underscore D. I mean, like questions on how to sign up or questions on how to use something, not questions on who do you like more tonight, the Aaron Fox or, you know, whoever, but sometimes I'll answer them too. All right, guys, let's rapid fire top stacks for the Saturday slate and, and, and do the Sunday games here. Matt, uh, favorite stack of the week and favorite low owned stack. I'll tell you for me, it's Buffalo and my favorite low owned stack is going to be the Indianapolis Colts in this very same game. I think those are two pretty clear options. Buffalo it's funny. They're top stack tool. They come in as easily the highest chance of being the top stack on the day, but they're also being owned accordingly. So there's I don't think as much edge to be gained here, maybe as some other stacks that are a little lower on this list. You mentioned one that has a pretty decent differential that Buffalo, or excuse me, that Indianapolis one in the same game. You actually get a little bit of edge here coming in with less ownership than their chance of being the top stack. So I like that one too. I still like this Ram stack as gross as it is. And I don't even really care if it's Wolford or Goff just because the volume will be there. And the way the offense functions, at least last week, we're dealing with extremely small samples but they were still able to dink and dunk their way with John Wolford into a 200 plus yard passing game. And now interceptions aren't really that much of a concern in DFS. If he throws a couple picks, that's fine with me. And I also like that Wolford has some rushing upside too. If it's golf, even better, more willing to stack the game yet. All right, Kyle, close out the Saturday slate before we make that transition to Sunday. Yeah. Low ownership. It's Indy. I completely agree with you. We outlined them you know, in a bunch of different ways, but I just think they're the, like, I've done this even on, I do this a lot on main sites. It's just, if you want to find ways to get different and still not miss out on the best games, just pick the players that aren't going to be owned. Like they still have great touchdown probabilities relative to the same roles of players in games that don't have good totals. So India's low owned stack. I'll go with the bucks as the high owned, but not as high owned as Buffalo pivot. All right. I'm the champ says Colts and bill is going to be a low scoring game. And anything can happen. But yeah, unless you find a way to stop that Bills offense, which literally no team has been able to do for the last three months, two and a half months, then you know I, I think we might see some points here. Let's talk Sunday. Hit that thumbs up if you're coming in late and subscribe, guys. Help get us to 50K. All of your support is greatly appreciated. And uh, once we get there, we're hoping for before or around the Super Bowl, we're going to do a massive giveaway. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be huge because it's a big milestone for us and for all of you that have helped us along the way. Baltimore at Tennessee. Matthew, the Baltimore Ravens were shocked last year to see Derrick Henry run all over them, accumulate almost 70% of Tennessee's total offense in a game where uh, Lamar Jackson racked up stats but flailed and jumped and fell and squirmed his way to an unceremonious loss in the wild card round. Or was it even – was that – no, that wasn't the wild card round. Was that the divisional round? Did they have a first-round bye? They did, right? Yeah, because yeah. uh, the Titans knocked off the Patriots. The Patriots. Right. Yeah. yeah, and Henry had like 70% of their yards in that game too. Yeah, Tannehill threw less than, I think, 20 pass attempts in both of those games. It was like 15 ballpark. It's incredible. But uh, I just wanted to do that intro because it's fun to talk about Derrick Henry, Matt. The guy's amazing. He got to 2K. Uh, and you know that he's going to be popular anytime he steps foot onto the field. 
he wasn't that popular that uh, last week or last season. He's popular, but not absurdly so because everyone hated that matchup. And then he came in and shocked the world. I don't even know if we'll see him with egregious matchup in this spot. And it has everything to you do mean with ownership. Yeah. Sorry. Excuse me. Yeah. Ownership. It, it's because Camara is also on the slate and, you know, assuming Camara gets his clearance, I'm not sure whether he's received that or not, but Derrick Henry is expensive. Camara is a little bit cheaper than that. And, you know, Camara has the pass catching upside. Camara himself is coming off while he missed the game with the COVID protocols, a six touchdown game himself. And you can't really play both of these guys without significantly punting at other positions. So I think just the fact that Camara is on the slate could keep Derrick Henry's ownership in check. And if that's the case, I'm going to be playing a lot of Derrick Henry. Okay. How about you, Kyle? Yeah, I was totally ready before I had looked at ownership. And if you want ownership for this, Alex, actually, the the homie, the boss man himself, dropped it in the Monday through Thursday, uh, or sorry, Monday through Thursday slash Sunday slate ownership. So if you scroll through the pages, we actually do have ownership for this now. I was shocked when he added it, and we saw Derrick Henry at, what do we have, at 25? Which one is it in? I couldn't find it. Uh, Monday through Thursday slash Sunday. I didn't even know that was a thing. Okay, go ahead. That's what the title yeah, of the page there is. too. Okay. Um, anyway, you know, if not, we'll, we'll like uh, drop some links to it or something. But get it fixed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just listen to me say it. We have Derek Henry at 20 ballpark, 27% ownership. And it is exactly because of what Matt said. He just doesn't really fit with the standard roster construction. We have a lot of people as a favorite. When you play Lamar Jackson, makes a lot of sense. They play in a game with a high total. He's the starting quarterback, the reigning MVP. I will say, though, anytime, this is just the the standard answer. Anytime we get Derrick Henry at low ownership, which for a game with or a slate with three games, 27% is going to be very low owned. I'll probably have a decent amount of him. I think you can simply just run him as exactly what happened versus Baltimore last time. And I would say that is the dumbest, fishiest thing I have ever heard to say, well, what if the thing that happens last time happens this time? But no one else seems to be, no one else as far as, you know, this slate goes, no one else being 27%. Very few people, given the potential ceiling for him, seem to think it's possible that what happens in the last time they they matched up happens again this time. And as long as the ownership reflects people not expecting that to happen, yeah, I'm, I'm going to think it is worth it to expect that to happen or to bet on that thing to happen. Not that I think it will, but I think it's worth the bet. Right. How could the guy who scored, who had 2000 plus yards this season, do it again in the postseason? <laughs> it is literally like every, every week that he came in with high ownership. I'm like, he can't, you know, he can't keep getting away with this. Now I'm like, please let him keep getting away with this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Last year against new England, he had 34 for 182 and a touchdown. He also had one reception for 22 yards and then he had 30 for 195. Uh, so, you know, He's going to get the opportunities. There's just simply no doubt about that. The opportunities are going to be there for Derrick Henry. 27% is not that insane. Uh, Matt, the the Baltimore side, though, you have Mark Andrews. He right now has the highest projected ownership on this slate at 54%. I'm assuming that's right. And I'm also assuming that, you know, the tight end position is just so lousy that, that that Mark Andrews comes in as a particularly high on play. And for another reason, Tennessee has just allowed so many points to their opposition this year. I do agree with this. I think Mark Andrews is the best tight end to play football this weekend. But at the same time, I think this is the better tight end slate out of, you know, the Saturday versus the Sunday slate. So seeing him with 50% ownership is still pretty wild to me. Like we've seen Mark Andrews. I feel like that might be wrong. 
but maybe not. Maybe not. I'm not going to judge. I don't know. It, it it's be the like first a run. A misclick. Yeah, it's the first run of ownership. So I, this will change throughout the week, of course. But I mean, we have Janu, we have Ebron, Hooper, even someone like Jared Cook is playing a significant amount. The Bears tight ends are heavily involved. While well, they use two of them, I mean, you could look to either of them. Janu's run around on 81% of dropbacks, in, at least in their most recent game. The, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're a little bit different to evaluate recently just because Roethlisberger didn't play. So I won't go into Ebron too much, but he's been heavily involved. And of course, the Cleveland pass catchers are all there. So if we see Andrews with 50% ownership, I don't know. I think I might fade some Mark Andrews. And if I'm playing Baltimore pass catchers, this is gross to say, but maybe look at some Marquise Brown, who's coming in with just 34% ownership early in the week. Oh, you got to love it, Kyle. Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown. It's tough to say what to do with this team, but when you, when you, again, when you look at Tennessee and, and how many points have been scored in the games they've played this season, you know, they closed the year out with 79 points. What are you, what are you going to do? Uh, I, I think so. I really like what Matt said is like, uh, were you guys saying that you thought the Mark Andrews ownership was too high? Yes, I did. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe it's too high. Maybe it is, but I actually don't like, I really don't think like, like Johnny Smith, like who's playing a right guard at tight end. Eric Ebron didn't play last game and is his team's fourth receiver. Austin Hooper is playing on a team that is going to be without any coaches. Like, I think there are basically downs, like very tangible, relevant downsides for all of these guys that people are going to gravitate towards Mark Andrews, maybe not half the field, but actually I, I kind of think people are going to generally be very heavily tilting towards Mark Andrews. So I do think for that reason, I actually expect this ownership to, I still think sure 53.7. I'd bet the under on that, but what I bet it at 45, I think he's the, like sort of the Stefan Diggs of this slate where you just look at the alternatives, you look at the price range. It's not bad. It's like people will find it as some semblance of safety at his position, I actually think it's going to be super highly owned. So for that reason, because I think this is closer to the right number than you guys do, the Marquise Brown pivots, they're going to be all over my lineups. Even if I'm not playing a ton of Lamar Jackson at his price, you don't need Lamar Jackson to throw it to him three touchdowns to get there. You need a touchdown in this price. If he gets a hundred yard bonus, but Lamar Jackson, you know, unsurprisingly doesn't get 300. He can still get there without Lamar Jackson really even coming close to the optimal lineup because of his price. And he acts as leverage off of Mark Andrews correlates well with my Derrick Henry lineups, which apparently I'm playing a ton of. I do think in terms of the pass catches on this team, there are basically two of note, and I'm going to be playing a lot of one and not much of Mark Andrews. All right, quick takes uh, on Tennessee passing off, uh, passing game, Matt. I, I just mentioned the Janu pivot is, is something I definitely, definitely like. Of course, A.J. Brown makes a lot of sense, but even Corey Davis, who has had a couple down games of late, I know Corey Davis is – you know, just Kyle's boy. He pops up for 11 targets last week after seeing no more than six in the three previous games. So I think you could certainly look to Corey Davis in this spot too for leverage. All right, Kyle. Yeah, I'm going to play the number one receiver for Tennessee, Corey Davis, <laughs> whenever he's at 4,800. Yeah, he stinks, dude. Um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But man, what a disappointment he was in the past couple of weeks. I, I can't even talk about it. Anyway, let's get to... Uh, Chicago and New Orleans, Matt, the Chicago bears, 10 and a half point dogs. I was actually a little bit surprised by this. I thought that was a pretty big number. I still think they can probably, you know, grab the backdoor cover, but Michael Thomas is expected back. Alvin Kamara wouldn't have been able to play Saturday, but he should be able to play Sunday. Assuming he continues to test negative. Ultimately I look at this game and see a much better team in New Orleans who is likely going to be pretty high on Right now, ownership, and I'll set you up. Kamara is 52%. 
Tom is 23% at six or 28% at $6,300. Those are the two guys to talk about mostly. Drew Brees around 18% at 5,700 on DraftKings. Yeah. Like we mentioned before, between the Derrick Henry and Alvin Kamara, like that dichotomy, I will prefer Derrick Henry at his ownership. And I think the construction, at least at this point in the week, is lending it pretty easily to a contrarian Saints stack. And then you just, you can run Derrick Henry because you should have the salary. Like a $6,300 Michael Thomas is egregious. And especially when we consider that at 28% ownership. Combined with a 19% on Drew Brees, I think this is a pretty clear path to a good contrarian stack. How about you, Kyle? Yep, that's it. Anytime I can get Slant Boy at 6,300 and not high owned, like if we would be laughing out of our chair saying the slate is ruined. Like, oh, if if we were looking at last year's stats and then you saw on a three-game slate, Michael Thomas was 6,300, you would say, okay, well, there are now two wide receiver positions and everyone rosters Michael Thomas. He's 27%. I don't think it really climbs a ton Me because neither. he's he's going to be list. Like we're not going to technically know if he's playing up until their game. And also as a side note, if you're playing the Saturday, Sunday slates, I'm, I'm jamming just a filthy amount of Michael Thomas because no one is playing him, not knowing if he's playing or not. And also like 99% of the field doesn't use late swap. The once Michael Thomas is ruled in, they're not moving on to him. So both on the, the Sunday slate and on the two game or two day slate, I'm playing just a, a sick amount of Michael Thomas. I suppose, Kyle, you could make some moves by trying to get a little bit different uh, on the Saints side of the football, just given the ownership for Kamara. But if Thomas is only going to be 28% and Manny Sanders at 5K is going to be 22%, I don't really feel like getting different. No, you don't. Like, this is what Matt said. You are getting different by playing the Saints stacks. It gives you a different roster construction because Drew Brees is cheap and he's not going to be incredibly popular. You're paying for a number one receiver at, like, these middling high wide receiver two fringe wide receiver one prices. And it lets you play, you know, your Derrick Henry because you're pivoting off of Alvin Kamara. You will, you have already done the getting different. If you play a Saints sack, Matt Montgomery and Allen Robinson are going to be chalky 44 and 38% respectively. They've just been very good. And Trubisky has definitely led this team a little bit better recently, at least for fantasy purposes, this Saints defense is defense is very good. So uh, something has to give here. Is it going to be Montgomery and Robinson come back down to earth at monster ownership or Chicago finds ways to score points against the good saints defense. That is a 10 and a half point favorite at home. I like the fact that the opportunity share is condensed for these teams. David Montgomery at 6,800 is a bit egregious considering the matchups he's had recently. It's really like, I mean like matchups against the Detroit Lions where you can just run all over them. This is certainly not that. David Montgomery has a lot of opportunities, but early in the season when you saw him in tougher matchups, he was not cashing in on them. So I'm more likely to fade David Montgomery, the second highest on running back on the Sunday slate in favor of pass catchers. I'm fine with Robinson. His target share is phenomenal. I also like Darnell Mooney as a pivot. He has 20 total targets in his last two games and has clearly been working his way into an increased opportunity share. They use him downfield, which is another reason I like Mooney as a pivot. All right, Kyle, uh, your thoughts on Chicago? Yeah, I'm a sick cat for these uh, these Darnell Mooney pivots because he just gives like he has such a good role relative to his price and his targets. Although like maybe he won't really on a on a normal week lead his team in targets, he could very well lead them in air yards because like Matt said, he gets a decent amount of targets 
He goes downfield, and this offense is still, I believe, their number six in passing percentage, and they're going to be losing this game if Vegas is even close to right. So a lot of opportunities at big splash plays for Mooney. I think that's like the easiest pivot, and I'm, I'm mostly fine playing the chalk Allen Robinson, chalk even David Montgomery, if I have already committed myself to the uh, to the Drew Brees stack because I've gotten different enough, essentially. It's the same thing with my Philip Rivers stack. You can run your Philip Rivers stack with Stephon Diggs. You can run your Drew Brees stack with an Allen Robinson. Okay. Some talk about Henry getting shut down in, in, in chat. He might, like, you know, he might, but he's still going to have 25 carries, even if they're losing the football game. So Yeah, I'd argue Denver shut down Derrick Henry, and he went for over 100 yards and scored in that game, too, because, like, exactly. he can run it 3.3 yards per carry, and his team will just keep pounding him. Exactly. He had 23 carries against Green Bay, and they were down by 100 points at halftime. So Brilliant. What's it matter? All right, Matt, last game here. And remember, we have the matchup show tomorrow. Um, we've got, with, with Matt Savoka and myself, we're going to have strategy shows throughout the week, live before lock, two or three hours on Saturday, on Sunday. Just so much content coming up. So if you think we missed anything here, stick with us throughout the rest of the week. Close it out with Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And then our quick, uh, quick hitter top stacks for the Sunday slate. Matt, Cleveland. They have a very low implied total. It's 21. It's one of the lowest over the entire weekend. Uh, and then on this slate, it's second lowest behind Chicago. I, I guess the very simple question for you is, did, they're dealing once again with the shutdown facility. They barely sneaked out a win against Kyle Rudolph and company, who did play well. Nick Chubb and Jarvis Landry are both in the high 20s. And then that's pretty much about it. Do you trust Pittsburgh's offense and defense to come in and route Cleveland in their first postseason appearance since 02? Or do you actually like the Cleveland Browns offense this week? This game has the most uncertainty out of any game on the slate, even with the Jared Goff injury. Cleveland down some coaching staff members losing like Joel Batonio was not great for this team. I think it'll hurt their chances of running the ball successfully, which is what we know Cleveland wants to do. With the volume players like Nick Chubb receive, it's going to make them great GPP plays, but we are still talking about the second lowest implied team total on the board against a Pittsburgh team that plays solid defense. Now on the other side, Pittsburgh has played pitifully in their most recent games too. We know they dropped the three in the row and then they basically didn't even try last week. So what do we make of this Pittsburgh team? Cleveland has been solid this year. Given their absences, I still tentatively favor the Pittsburgh side and would rather play you know, James Conner and some guys over there but I don't feel confident about either side. Me neither. Kyle, Pittsburgh did come in in week 16 and and beat a Colts team that could have used a win and, and looked pretty impressive in that respect. Maybe a small marginal bounce back, but I think Matt's right. What a difficult game to try and project from both sides. Yeah, I think I like the Pittsburgh side a little more than you guys. Their team total is really starting to come alive. It's come up a point and a half at 26 and a half now, facing a defense that is banged up and could like just be without, it probably will be just without key players because of the COVID absences. Like, I do think this is a spot where we saw in a very similar situation almost, the Jets ended up, you know, playing a decent fantasy game against the Browns because they didn't have any. So I do think Pittsburgh, just because they're playing a team that will be half backups without any of their coaches and Vegas kind of confirms this for us that we should be projecting them to score more points than maybe we would have initially projected. And they pass the ball a ton. Like they're one of the teams that win, you know, winning when tied, they pass more than we would ever expect a team winning or tied to do so. It does give me a lot of interest in like Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, even to an extent Juju. And by extension, if I like those guys, I kind of have to have some interest in Roethlisberger, on the other side, 
eh, they're, I don't know, interesting GPP plays because I don't think they're going to draw a ton of ownership, but I think it's roughly efficient. My only play is Richard Higgins just gets an incredible amount of air yards and a decent amount of targets on a team that almost certainly will have to throw the ball because they're not projected to be even close to winning. Yeah, you make a good point. It's amazing that Pittsburgh is throwing on 64, more than 64% of their plays this season. Like, they're a team that only lost four games yeah. and was 11 and 0 and they just pass at an absurd clip, Matt, which at least opens my eyes kind of like Kyle said to, to the notion that maybe Deontay Johnson at 6,200 and a few of these guys, just given the overall uh, voluminous targets that your target shares that you're getting for Deontay Johnson and, and volume that you're getting from Ebron and, and Juju and maybe even a little bit of Claypool, all of that makes them pretty entertaining. Yeah, for sure. And that's part of the reason why I like Ebron a lot as a tight end pivot off of Mark Andrews. His volume is not that different, excluding yeah. the one target game. He And last week he was an inactive. But I mean, prior to that, 11 targets, 11 targets, five, seven. That's fantastic volume. It's arguably better than someone like Mark Andrews who has a larger target share. But again, we need to adjust this for overall pass rate. The Ravens being one of the run heaviest teams in the NFL, that's actually less raw targets than what Eric, Eric Ebron is receiving. Matt, James Conner is coming in around 30% at $5,000, and I still don't think I want to do it. I agree with you just because he's been so bad, but at the same time, I'm trying to check myself and be like, all right, is this he's recency? So cheap. Yeah, he's so cheap, and we're talking about a potential bell cow back as a near touchdown favorite. I know. No, you're 100% right. And it's a postseason game. Like, you know, they probably don't want to throw the ball 50 times. So, yeah, you're right. All right, guys, this has been fun. Let's close it out with stacks while we're at it. Jordan Klein, thank you for working the controls behind the virtual glass. Uh, Top stacks for the Sunday slate. Essentially, I want your favorite stack and your favorite low-owned pivot stack, Matt. So favorite stack for me at least at this point, it's going to be hard for me to get away from that New Orleans. And I honestly think they'll be low enough owned where you could just pay for New Orleans as your low owned stack. And if I'm, I'm getting away from that, I'll try to go with Tennessee, just take that direct leverage off of Derrick Henry, assuming his ownership comes up a little bit. Cool. Kyle? I, man, I hate it. It's the exact same thing, actually. And especially because Ryan Tannehill's ownership, really, I'm surprised he's not coming in higher owned than like a Roethlisberger or a Breeze. I would actually kind of bet on him to come in higher owned over those guys. And it especially gives you access to like a super Lamar Jackson leverage play where you can just go like J.K. Dobbins runs for, I don't know, 160, like he did last week, I believe, scores multiple touchdowns. And if Lamar Jackson just throws for one and his team is playing with a lead, that's where a Tannehill stack, like I just think the Titans are going to be under owned despite playing in a great game, despite the spread not being bad against them. It's like a three point spread, I believe. I think people are really overweighting the Raven side of this game. So both. Tannehill and Henry, I think, are really good plays. Love it. Uh, yeah, I'll go with, as a, as a pivot, I don't know how popular Pittsburgh is going to be, but Roethlisberger is coming in around 15% right now. There are ways to make it happen. If, if Connor's going to be super chalk at that price point and the, and the passing game looks a little bit overlooked uh, and our ownership suggests that could be the case, you mentioned it, Kyle. They do have a high total in this game. It's at uh, 27 points almost. I like it, and I'm willing to get there. Guys, thanks so much for watching. Remember, hit that thumbs up, subscribe, and stick with us throughout the day. So much more coming up. The Deeper Dive for NBA, Live Before Lock, and everything else. Check it out at the awesome.com homepage. And remember, 2021 promo gets you 21 days for $20. Happy gets you 20% off everything on the site for a year. See you back here soon.
Wait a minute. Yeah, I have an eye appointment. I don't have COVID. 